0: we are going to dive back in to the book of Exodus and uh, Ron will will guide us on the scriptures this morning. Thank you guys. Well, um, apologies for the outfit first of all. Um, Look like Jeff Goldblum and a pink fisherman had a baby, but that's okay. Um, I had a little skin cancer surgery this week and so uh, the instructions are, you are done with sun, and you stay covered up, and so uh, that's what I'm attempting to do. Um, thankful, thankful we got to learn a little bit more about Matt today. Uh, the introduction there told us Matt uh, leads worship sometimes, and then the next line was, and he smokes, and then there was this long pause. Did you catch that? And I heard some of you laughing, because you were as intrigued as I, what does he smoke? What What does he smoke? If you lead worship, you apparently get to smoke different things than the rest of us. And so, no, that's cool. I'm glad it was just pulled pork. So, awesome. Um, If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14 today. And uh, so, invite you to turn there, get a jump start. We're going to work our way through. If you haven't been with us so far in the journey of this historical account, through the book of Exodus, what's been taking place is God's people have been held captive as slaves in Egypt uh, for some 400 years. And uh, God's decided it's time to rescue his people out of slavery and send them on a journey to the promised land. Now, God's used some pretty phenomenal means in these last couple of weeks that we've seen uh, through these judgments, these 10 plagues. And finally, uh, Pharaoh has relented and released God's people. And last week, we kind of ended on the cliffhanger. They are finally released and they finally get to exit out of Egypt and that's where we, we pick up here. I have a question for you though, first off. Have you ever experienced a, a moment or maybe a long season or maybe you'd categorize your whole life this way where it was a confusing season or a season that you found yourself in a weakened spot? Have you ever had a confused or weakened spot? And then now maybe what I propose is what if that confusing, weakened spot that you have found yourself in or maybe find yourself in today, what if that spot was designed by God? What, what if he's allowed that? What if he has made that spot possible for some specific purpose? If you've been around church for a while or the Bible for a while, you might be familiar. If not, don't worry. But in the New Testament, Paul makes this interesting comment about acknowledging that when he is weak, then that's when God's able to really display his strength in him. And and. Paul had this issue, this struggle, this challenge. And God whispers to him, my grace is sufficient for you. When you are weak, then I am strong. Now, for a long time, I kind of took that then to, okay, well, then God might want me to be weak all the time. He wants me to be perpetually weak. And I couldn't quite reconcile that with this relationship with this strong, almighty God. And doing a little bit more of the study, I think there's a humility that might look weak, but it's actually meek. But I think at the heart of it, God wants you and I to be strong. God wants you to be strong, but I, I, would, I would propose this. He wants you to be strong in a way that reflects that the strength that you have is coming from him rather than you being strong in a way that reflects your strength is all about your strength. Most of us as human beings like to find some strength in ourselves, strength in our knowledge, strength in our bank accounts, strength in our uh, acquaintances, our associations, our accomplishments, our physical strength. And all of that stuff, I'm sure many of you have experienced, all of that stuff fails at some point, your own strength, your own bank account, your own acquaintances, whatever it is. And that's why the the beauty of our heavenly daddy is just constantly leading us on this journey to, to teach us that real strength is in him. And when we are aware of just how strong we can be in him, the better off. And we lean less on our human strengths and look more to him. Well, the Israelites are in that spot. They're learning now, all over again, about their own weaknesses, but how strong the Lord is. And in Exodus chapter 14, that's kind of where we we dive back in with them. Let me read verses 1 through 4. The people are now on their way. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of pi ha Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Now listen, verse three. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, say of the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. See, God's actually leading them in a way that is resulting in his own people being confused Has God's direction in your life seemed foolish or confusing? Like, why in the world, God, this? Or, really, God, this is the plan? Or, really, God, this is the timing? God is operating in a way that's actually confusing to his people. It's also going to be confusing to the enemies of the people of God. And yet, God's still in it. God's still in the confusion. God's still in this, what? seems to be a weak spot that God's people are in, God is still right there. Is God still moving? Is God still active? Does God still know what he's up to? Of course. And yet he's orchestrating things that are both confusing to his people and to the enemies. It's this reminder that, you know, there's always more to life than you and I can see or touch, right? There's more to life than just your story, just your circumstances, just your successes or your struggles. There's more to life. There is a whole spiritual world out there that is going on that we're often kind of ignorant to or maybe choose to ignore sometimes. But there's more to life. There's this spiritual world out there that is active. God is active in ways, orchestrating things that we don't always get or understand. They appear confusing to us. It's made the Egyptians go on to have some questions. They're watching this take place. And and the Egyptians are going to go on and go, what in the world are we doing? Why did we let these people go again? They were our slaves, they were serving us. They're still within reach. Why did we release them? And they're gonna chase after them. They had a short-term memory. I mean, you just go back a couple of days and I could have told you about 10 reasons why you decided to let these people go. They've already forgotten. If you continue to read through, you're gonna find that the Israelites began to question they began to question God and blame Moses, question Moses, why did you lead us out of here? They had a short-term memory. God's people got to see the miracles of God and now they're in confusing circumstances and they're like, oh my goodness, God must not care. God's left. Oh my goodness, this is their line. We would have probably been better as slaves. And I got to tell you for just a moment, that is probably one of the most constant whispers from our spiritual enemy, the devil, that he's going to communicate to you over and over and over again. It's probably better that you had just stayed put. It's probably better that you were just back doing what you used to be doing It's probably better that you stayed captive because, again, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. It's going to be too much work. There's not much good in the promised land anyway. This journey now has proved to be so challenging, you know? It's probably better we just stay slaves. Just, Just be on guard for that because God's trying to teach us in this journey. See, literally for them, they are being moved out of slavery to the promised land, but this has also become a a spiritual picture for all of our journey out of the slavery of sin and in this walk with Jesus. And it's not easy and it can be confusing and it can feel like a weakened state, Well, the Egyptians now begin the pursuit of the Israelites and the Israelites turn around and they see the Egyptian army coming and they freak out. They're terrified. I mean, for good reason. They look around their circumstances, they appear trapped, and now here comes the army that they just left coming after them. they're, They're terrified. And then in Exodus chapter 14... Look at verses 13 and 14. I love this. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) You ever had rough circumstances that you're going through? I mean, legitimately tough, difficult ones. And then some probably well-intentioned Christian comes up and goes, oh, it's no big deal. The Lord's got this. Yeah, I know on a theological level, but remember, like these are real circumstances and I need real answers. I need real help. And all I'm seeing is the confusion. All I'm seeing is the oppression coming. Moses says, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good news. Sometimes God's rescued you out of a relationship or a group of people for good reason. And to go back into that group, you should never see them again. Sometimes God brings necessary endings to particular circles of friendships and whatnot to move you on. It doesn't mean at some point you may not go back and have a ministry there or whatever. But sometimes he's moving you on out of a bigger picture. He knows what you might be prone to or pull you back into. Sometimes these necessary endings are good. In verse 14, look at this. The Lord will fight for you. You just stand still. You stand firm. And it says the Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Quiet. Another translation says, you stand still, the Lord will fight for you, and all you must do is be still. That's nice, right? Because our own strength, you can usually tend when your default primary response to the confusion or weakness is responding out of your own strength when you spring hastily or impatiently to action. You either run away too quick or you uh, spring into action too quick. You don't pray about it. You don't seek God about it. You don't seek godly counsel about anything. We don't like to stand still. Why? Because it's, it means we're acknowledging, like, I can't do anything. But what God's doing for the Israelite people, and I think now thousands of years later still for us, helpfully, is going, I'm trying to teach you who I am and how I operate, And he's trying to teach God's people how he's operating. It's not just the spiritual world they're in. It's a spiritual battle they're in. You and I are in a spiritual world. There's forces at work that we just can't see or can't touch in the same way that you can the people next to you. But there's also a spiritual battle taking place. There's a literal battle that these people are facing There's literal battles that you face. But even in the literal battles, there's almost always a spiritual component, right? There's an enemy at work and there's a God that's desiring to help you through. How would you learn to let the Lord fight for you? He's trying to teach him. You know what? I think God lets us learn in the way that's most helpful to us, you know, because we aren't all the same, are we? Some of us are wired a certain way. Others are wired a different way. And have you noticed how he handles you differently than he handles your friend or your spouse or your brother or your sister? It's because he knows the same thing you need might not be the same thing that your brother needs or your friend needs. Or what you're struggling with isn't what your sister struggles with. And I I love that about God. See, in this particular moment, how he's trying to teach them to allow God to fight for them is just to shut up, stop talking, shush, be quiet, be still. Because what does God know about the Israelites? He knows they're whiners, (laughs) And over the next several weeks, almost every text that we dive into, we're going to find the Israelite people, God's people, whining and complaining. And what lesson do whiners and complainers need to learn? Shut up. Close your mouth. Shush. That's what whiners and complainers need to learn. Moses, on the other hand, Moses wasn't necessarily at this point in his journey, a whiner and a complainer. Moses, on the other hand, seemed hesitant to respond to God's call. And so what does God have Moses doing? Does God have Moses shutting up or being still? No. God has Moses Speaking up on behalf of God, God has Moses outstretching his arms, cooperating with God actively. If you might be paralyzed in your faith going, I don't know if God can use me. I don't know if God wants to do anything through me. Well, then don't be surprised if God's response to teach you is asking you to take a step of action rather than a step of being still. God just wants us to cooperate with him, whether it means shutting our mouths or moving into action. He's going to use a whole different set of tools to minister to you. And I love whatever's going on in your heart and your heart and your heart as, as you respond openly to what God has called you to do. When you know there's a fight coming, what's your initial response? When you find yourself in a weakened spot or a confusing spot, what's your initial response? Is it it some sort of haste, impatience, I gotta move, I gotta act? Okay, maybe this week you practice shutting your mouth except to talk to him and just being still and letting him fight for you, letting him move. When a fight or confusing situation is in your midst and your track record is being more paralyzed and not to do anything or take a bold step, maybe what you put into practice this week is, I'm not going to overthink this. I think God might want me to speak up. I think God might me to send that text message or write that letter or go ask that person for coffee and see what God does. But... Either way, let him fight for you. Either way, if we're tuned to what he's calling us to do, if he says be still, then you better be still. If he says outstretch your hand and do what I'm telling you to do, then go ahead and do that, and then you'll be fine either way. We're going to find ourselves in the spiritual battle. Well, the army is closing in, and the sea is to their back, the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is closing in from the only other direction that they could go. And so they are stuck. And most of you know the story. You've seen the movie. And God is obedient to what Moses is obedient to what God calls him to do. And Moses steps out, put his staff in the sea, and the waters begin to part. A wind springs up and it begins to blow uh, the waters apart. There was actually an article in the Los Angeles Times like 20 or 30 years ago where this association of meteorologists No religious affiliation actually documented how this was physiologically, it was physically possible. It was meteorologically possible considering the terrain of the area and the winds that are often present that God could use to part the sea at that capacity. It's pretty cool. It doesn't mean it's any less miraculous because the timing is all God, and yet it's still based in something that... uh, The unsaved world goes, yeah, I could see how that could happen. That's mind-blowing to me. God parts the sea. The Israelites go now into the sea, and they're just about making their way through when the Egyptian army follows them into the trench. Water on both sides. And as they get in, look at what happens. This is really what I wanted to focus on today. They're now in And and look at this. Here comes the army coming. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. And right after this, they're going to enter the Red Sea. But before they take that step, the presence of God shows up in front of them and behind them. I hope that if you are in the middle of confusing or weakened circumstances, that you can sense God's presence. I want to talk about God's presence for just a moment because it is so key. We talked a little bit about the last few weeks, just heightening our awareness to the presence of God. I don't know how many of you did the sticky notes thing this week. You can always do that. It doesn't have to be last week. But put sticky notes everywhere to talk to God, remind you, prompt you that the presence of God is always with you. And he's right here in our midst right now. But I love that in the midst of the confusion with a battle coming, that here is the presence of God in this, this tangible way, in front and behind. They're surrounded by the presence of God. I just want you to picture for just a moment, whatever you got to do, you close your eyes, you take a deep breath, or whatever. <sighs> right at now, at this very moment, you are surrounded by the presence of God. You are standing under the waterfall of the grace and the love and the mercy, the very presence of God. The, the work of God has surrounded you entirely. It is before you and it is behind you. Just that simple meditation, that simple awareness, does that do anything for your heart in the midst of confusing or weakened circumstances? Just pausing long enough to go, Lord, one, you're with me and you're not just out in front of me and I got to catch up. Or you're not just behind me and I've somehow outpaced you. But that God is surrounding you. In this particular case, I love it because as the Israelites are just about to take the step into the Red Sea that is now parted, a couple of things are happening. The presence of God is fully surrounding them, but the presence of God is doing two primary things that I think God is still actively doing today. The presence of God is protecting them from the Egyptians, right? There is protection from provided by God there is also God providing a way out. Those two functions of the presence of God in your life are so key at any given moment. The presence of God, the active work of God is protecting you from the work of the enemy as well as providing a way out from sin and temptation, from the onslaught of our enemy, That's big. You know, Satan's attacks are constant. You know, just super quick, the devil isn't omnipresent. The devil and God are not equal. The devil's a created being that only for a little bit has a certain amount of influence and power that is limited by God in both power and time frame. It's important to remember that. It's not like the old cartoons where God's on one shoulder and then the equal devil sits on the other shoulder and they've got equal power and weight. So the the devil's not omnipresent, meaning the devil can't be everywhere all the time. Now, he has a whole set of spiritual world, demonic forces. I know it's getting a little heavy, but that can be active all over the place. But let's just watch our language because I don't know if I'm high enough on the food chain for Satan himself to be tempting me. You know, I think there's presidents or rulers or whatever across the globe or whoever it might be. You know, actively, but for me, it's his forces. It's the underlings, really, which then also helps me understand. Like, okay, I got the presence of God Himself, omniscient God, now doing spiritual battle with the underlings, and so okay, that's pretty cool. But Satan's attacks are, you know, they're they're all over the place. We're getting inundated in our culture. It can come from something you read, something you watch, something you listen to. It can come from people that you love. It can come from complete strangers. James tells us something interesting in the book of James, many of you are familiar, that if we resist the devil, then he will flee from us. That's good news. We resist the plot of the enemy, the plans of the enemy, then he will flee. If we just keep saying yes to whatever our flesh desires or whatever the enemy puts in front of us, then he's kind of winning and he'll just keep the floodgates wide open. But the more by God's grace and presence we're saying no, 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 and rather yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, then it's a little bit different ballgame. If we resist him, then he will flee. But then there's another confusing kind of bummer on the other side. Remember when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's getting tempted? And at the end of all this temptation that Jesus did not succumb to, at the end of it, the last line in that little story says, and then Satan left Jesus until an opportune time. And so we can resist the plan and the attacks of the enemy. But then we should also be braced that he'll be back. He'll be back, and unfortunately, at an opportune time. And what's opportune for you may not be opportune for me. In the recovery community, there's an acronym called HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. They've now added B, Bored, to it, HALT-B. And many studies have found that when you're hungry, more, not just like for food, but like your soul is hungry for something, uh, angry, lonely, tired, bored, then you don't want to feel that way anymore. That also happens to be when you're most susceptible to pleasure-seeking sin, the stuff that numbs you out, the stuff that goes, okay, well, now I don't feel crummy anymore, at least for an hour or a half a day, and then stuff catches up with you. And so watch out for the opportune times. Right before you're going to be used by God for something, that's an opportune time. Right after God's done some work in your life, that's an opportune time. If you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're bored, you're tired, those are opportune times for the enemy to come in and go after you, and and try to gain some ground in your life. But the presence of God, God himself, is before you and behind you. He is currently, right now, God, our God, is protecting you right now. And he's also providing a way out, not just one or the other. He was doing it for the Israelites there. He's protecting them from the Egyptian army, slowing them down and giving them time as he provided a way out through the Red Sea. It was literal for them. It's a picture for us. And the picture gets picked up because it made me think of that verse in Corinthians. I couldn't remember where it was about we won't be tempted beyond what we could bear. Which Christians, just real quick, we get this wrong all the time. A lot of us say this line, God will never give you more than you can handle. I think it's based on that verse right there. But that's not true. God always gives you more than you can handle. <laughs> because there's a lot of weakening getting us out of our own strength and our own reliance and relying on his strength that he is is about. Now, what second or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so I looked it up, went to the actual verse that Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says this, no temptation, listen, has come upon you except what is common to humanity, okay? So we're all in the same boat. (laughs) But God is faithful, cool, translated, presence is right there with you, it's surrounded you, before you, behind you, protecting you, and providing a way out, cool. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, okay, that's good, But with the temptation, listen, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's so cool. You got an addiction to something on the internet or whatever, he's probably protected you from getting you sitting down at the phone or the laptop or whatever. But how many times has he also provided a way out when you're trying to log on to this or get a hold of her or whatever? The phone line doesn't go through. The internet's slow. The connection gets disconnected. You ever wonder why? Like, oh, I'm really trying to get to this stuff, and it's not allowing me. Maybe it's because the Lord's providing a way out. Maybe it's because he's protecting you. It's been the right call from the right person at the right time or whatever. If we're open to it, then I think we're aware. One of his presence, two of his protection, three of his provision— for, for a way out. You know, it's crazy. This whole verse, these two verses about he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. He, he's protecting you from the amount of temptation. Listen, that he knows you're able to bear. But then he's also providing some sort of tangible way out. I don't have to go through with this, or I've got an exit strategy. I've got an escape plan, an escape hatch. The beginning of this chapter, this is so God, because I try to go read in context the beginning of this chapter with that verse on God providing a way out. Listen to how the beginning of the chapter starts. Verse 1 says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So Paul's actually referencing back to the same story that we're looking at to talk about this impending fight that he knew historically what had happened had actually happened, but it was also this beautiful picture of God's provision for us. And so the sea parts, Israel goes through, Israel gets out, and then The waters collapse, and all the Egyptians are consumed. And at the end of Exodus chapter 14, it says, verse 29, But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Look at this, though. See, it's a learning thing. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. God's wanting to reveal more of his presence to you every single day, just how able he is, how present he is, that he's protecting you. Even now, he's provided a way out from all sorts of situations with regard to sin and temptation in our life. And he wants to lead us in the way everlasting. There's a lot bigger picture here. See, the big picture here at the end is the people of God had been blaming Moses and doubting Moses and getting through the Red Sea. The deliverance validated Moses as the deliverer. Getting through the Red Sea was validation that the Israelite people didn't need a doubt in God, and they didn't need a doubt in their leader, which is a much bigger picture of us and our Jesus. Because I can't help but think that the resurrection of Jesus validated any of us that might doubt that Jesus is our deliverer, that he's protecting us from the enemy and the curse of sin and death, But the beauty of Jesus is that it doesn't just stop there. The beauty of Jesus' work is he's constantly protecting us from the enemy and his work. But also he's providing a way into abundant life, full life, life eternal, here and now. It's not just about avoiding junk and bad stuff or weakness and confusing situations, but to be in God's presence is to experience real life, real joy, real hope, the way that Jesus intended, and real strength that comes from him, not just on ourself. And so today, you can be strong, but not in you. You can be strong resting in the work of God on your behalf his presence that's actively at work right now, protecting you and providing for you through the rest of this afternoon. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. We just can think about today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Rest in his love and provision for you and his presence right here with you today. He's got you. And so gracious heavenly father, we thank you. We thank you for your provision for us. We thank you that you've protected us probably for more than we can possibly imagine. I'm sure there's things we're aware of. Well, I can think of a handful. I know you protected me, but how many things that I'm not aware of? Thank you for that. But thank you also that you don't just keep us from stuff or keep us from hurts or sin, but you also provide a way To hope and to love and to a full abundant life. I pray for those in this group here today that maybe are struggling with uh, too much talking. Would you allow them a week where they just feel comfortable just being quiet and still and just internally prayerful with you? And would you fight on their behalf? For those that have maybe been paralyzed with hesitation or little faith, would you give them courage to cooperate with you in something active that you're doing? Would you help us, Daddy, to protect us from the plans of the evil one? Help us be aware of what opportune times we have. But more than that, Lord, would you please just give us the real strong sense that you're right here with us, and you love walking with us and fighting for us, whatever it looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we want to invite you to take communion together. Both the cross and the resurrection were such like validation of the person and the work of Jesus. The validation of God and his power and his strength, much less his love. My goodness. These symbols that are here are such a powerful reminder of Jesus, the bread that represents his body that was broken for me and you, and his blood that was shed for me and you. It became a covering. The life-giving blood of Jesus is our, our covering. And it's only through Jesus that we have a way out from our sin. It's only through Jesus that we have a way out through temptation. It's only through Jesus that got a way into this abundant life that he wants for us. And so I'm going to be praying for you during this time of communion that you've got with Jesus, just knowing that he is right there with you. It's a good reminder, tangible symbol of his presence with you. So you come, there's stuff up here at the table and then back in the corner there, if that's easier for you to get to, you can grab these elements, go back to your seat, spend some time with Jesus, take them on your own. But I also encourage you, while we've got a little space, we've got some amazing prayer partners over this direction that would love to be praying with you. The garbits are over here, John and Jessica. And if you just need someone to be kind of contending for you in prayer, if you need someone to listen to you, if you need to have the Lord just remind you that he's close and he loves you, you spend some time with Jesus first, taking communion, and then go ahead and make your way over and just let the Lord minister to you uh, through the prayer partners over here. As we uh, spend this time together, let me just pray and then you can come forward. Father, we just thank you, Lord. For the gift of Jesus. Thanks for this time that we've got of stillness right now. Use it however you see fit in Jesus name. Amen. Come when you're ready. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our six weeks of summer as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome! Glad that you were able to tune in. Um, if you haven't yet, jump over to RestorationAz.org. We'd love to get connected with you, get to know a little bit about you. You can also um, see who we are, what we're about, and um, yeah, begin the journey and. Um, If you haven't gotten plugged into a local congregation yet, we just, uh, that's something that we really, really value. Um, And restoration definitely does not need to be the place, but um, for you to get plugged in somewhere, we feel like is really, really important. So um, be prayerful and mindful about that and consider that. And um, yeah, we say this every week, but we mean it. Jesus is the only one who's trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.